good, everybody? Welcome to another Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Levin Black. What's up, Levin? Nothing. Just kidding. You told me not to say that, but I went ahead and said it. So what you going to do about it? Well, there's nothing I can do about it now, unfortunately. You do say it every week, though. If you are unfamiliar with the show, get used to that intro. Also, this is the show where you usually get the hot takes from me and the cold truth from Love and Black, as I like to call them, the human wet blanket. We got a review, Levin. We always tell you, rate, review, subscribe, the Niners Nation Podcast Network. If you leave a review, we will read it on the show. This is from Buff Latina, who the subject is Levin Black. And Uh-oh. you got to help me with this one because it, I, I have not heard this one for the people that listened last week. I knew what the review is. I actually have not seen this or heard this. So you got to help me. Here's the review. Please tell Levin, a.k.a. George Wade Barnes. He is an awesome Niners analyst. Keep up the great work. Who is George Wade Barnes? That name sounds familiar, but I don't know why. I want to know if it's a compliment and I should be mad or if it's an insult and I should be happy. That's that's what I need to know. I probably should have Googled it before we started, to be honest. That's a bad job by me. All right. I, I just looked it up. I don't honestly know what he's getting at with that comment because he is just a YouTube like video game streamer, content creator. There doesn't seem to be any connection to sports. All I can think of is that uh, he has a beard and he's white and our noses are somewhat similar. Like, is he just saying I look like him? Maybe he's also a huge jerk. Uh, that That is possible. <laughs> Maybe he has a really bad co-host. Maybe that's oh, see? <laughs> Nicely done. Good work by uh, you. So, yeah, that, uh, what was it, Buff Latina? Yes. So uh, how about get, get a hold of us on Twitter and let us know what you meant by that, whether or not it's just that we look alike or if there is something, some video that guy is known for that you think fits. Yeah, maybe we're just a couple of lame white dudes that are not hip and don't know, like, things that are popular that we probably should. I don't know if he's a video. I think he's a video gamer. I just quickly looked at his bio, obviously. So I don't know of him, but his he has a gamer tag in there. So I'm assuming that's what he is. But, yeah, maybe maybe he's like a Minecraft one because Minecraft's kind of like the dividing line of I ain't touching that game. I ain't getting into that game. That's officially when I stopped being, like, hip. <laughs> Oh, that's when? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I was super hip before. Right, yeah, I'm sure you were just a, an absolute trendsetter. Um, <laughs> we got a few things to get into on today's show. We're going to get into the Brandon Ayuk situation because he continues to essentially be frozen out of this offense, and the 49ers themselves keep talking about it, and the things that they are saying are not matching up with the things that we are seeing on the field. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into just overall our faith in this regime And specifically, how confident are we that they can straighten stuff out during the bye week? Because that obviously would be the primary focus of the team at this point. We're not going to get too much into the quarterback situation because nothing has really changed. And and you and I, Levin, already weighed in on the Instant Reaction podcast after the game, which if you haven't listened to, I suggest you go and download and check out. But let's get into the Ayuk situation. Um, It's dominating 49ers Twitter right now for sure. If you're not on 49ers Twitter, you should still know that Brandon Ayuk has largely been MIA this year. He's got less targets than Mohamed Sanu. He has less targets than Mohamed Sanu. He has less targets than Kyle Juszczyk. Just keep that in your brain. First round wide receiver, less targets than a fullback. So, Levin, 
You heard John Lynch this week on KMBR. You heard Kyle Shanahan talk about it during the season. What is going on with Brandon Ayuk? Your guess is as good as mine. That's really where you're at. Because pretty much every single person who watches the film back gets the all 22 angles so that they can actually see what Ayuk is doing. Because like you said, he's not being targeted. So the broadcast angle isn't going to show him very much. But watching the zoomed out all 22, you can see him getting open. You can see him getting open on post routes uh, and, and doing what he's supposed to be doing. You can see him. This is not a uh, Dante Pettis situation where Dante Pettis would play Ole when it came to run blocking because you know he just didn't have the physicality for it. He didn't want to do it. You see Ayuk literally being more aggressive, in my opinion, than any other receiver out there in searching for somebody to block. You're seeing him be a very good run blocker, and you're seeing him get open with his routes, but he's just not being targeted. He's most often not even part of the progressions, as far as we can tell, because the quarterback never looks his way. It certainly seems like he's completely designed out of this offense, even though he's getting some snap counts. Although I will say I've seen people uh, on Twitter today responding with, he's second on the team in snap counts from wide receivers. Yeah, good for that. You know, <laughs> he last year he had no games, zero out of 12, where he had less than 71% of the snaps. And in his final six games, he had 87% or higher in terms of playing the offensive plays. Um, this year, he has one game out of five where he's had more than 71%. So his lowest from last year in 12 games, he only has one game more than that. One. It is very clear he's not getting the chances that he should be getting because this is my main point on this, and this is what really pisses me off with Lynch's comments. Like, Lynch, I am almost beside myself in frustration with Lynch's comments. And I'll get into that. But my overall point is he was benched in week one for Sherfield. He's outproducing Sherfield. He was routinely pulled for promoted from practice squad, Travis Benjamin <laughs> on any type of deep routes or obvious passing situations where it was third and long this past game. And Travis Benjamin looked like in them. He was getting manhandled. And that's because he only weighs 150 pounds. It's the same story that Travis Benjamin has always had. He has great athleticism. He has good speed. He is not a polished route runner. And he is able to get bodied by cornerbacks because he's smaller and weaker than them. And you saw that yet again. Yet, guess what? Travis Benjamin didn't have a catch. So Brandon Ayuk is outproducing Travis Benjamin. So you're telling me that a guy that has outproduced people that the team is playing over him, taking him off the field for, that to me is you are purposely playing players who are inferior and thus hurting the team. This is a team that is two and three and lost all their games. Well, I guess the Green Bay game didn't get close to the end, but they took the lead. So they're all they're all close games and they're two and three and they've been purposely not playing a player that is better than the others that they've been putting in. That is gross negligence to me. And that to me is fireable. Like I'm not saying fire them now. But if this continues, if this is the route that they choose and they stubbornly stick on it, get them off this team. Get them away from this team because they're openly sabotaging the young talent. What bothers me is that the what they're saying about it doesn't match up with what's going on in the field. And no one seems to be bringing it up, at least no one that's in a position to speak with them. That's what's driving me crazy. Like 
John Lynch said on KMBR that Ayuk hasn't made the strides that they've wanted him to make. But what does that mean, Levin? Does that mean he's not as fast as they wanted him to be? Does that mean he's not as strong as they wanted him to be? Are his hands not as good? Is he not getting enough separate? What is the actual specific thing? Because they throw out these generalities like that. He's not making the straw. Like, that doesn't mean anything. If you're Brandon Ayuk, right? Like, and that's what you heard. That's the feedback from the team you heard. I would be like, I don't know what to do to get better. Like, okay, you you say there's a problem, but I don't know how to fix it. You haven't told me what the problem is. Let me get in on this John Lynch crap because this <laughs> is this is what's really pissed me off. When have you ever seen a team president, GM, you know, general front office head guy go on the radio during a freaking bye week and tear apart or tear down one of their young, highly talented players that they traded up to get in the first round. Like, when, when has that ever happened? Like, I literally can't remember another case where that was happening except for in cases where, like, somebody got in trouble with the law or was, like, publicly speaking out against the team. That's what really freaking pisses me off with John Lynch. You're literally on the radio attacking somebody publicly when that same person isn't going public with anything. We don't know what he did if he did anything and he's not sitting here bad mouthing the team. Like what other first round talent that had the rookie season that he had, which was a very good rookie season would just sit and keep their mouth shut when they've been frozen out of the offense, schemed out of the offense and told go return punts. <laughs> like he's literally not causing any waves. Like, who could blame him at this point if he showed up to a media day and said, I am sick of not getting the ball, that I am talented enough to be getting open and they need to start doing what's best for the team? Like, who who would blame him at this point for doing that? I have a real problem with the GM going and attacking one of the players on the team because he's not the coach. He's not the one making the decisions not to play him, not to scheme to him. It is, to me, it's just, it's low. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, you're attacking a defensive person there and you're the guy that brought him to the team and is supposed to be lifting him up i don't get it and it really pisses me off and to me john lynch is much more replaceable than kyle shannon kyle shannon wants to criticize a player well he's the one making the coaching decisions he's the one that's at practice day in day out and decides all of that and to me john lynch he's the gm and he doesn't have final say you're pretty replaceable and i've been as big of a defender of john lynch as anybody i've said on this show that to me, I feel like John Lynch is like the perfect pairing with Kyle Shanahan because what other guy would come in, be okay with not having final say, get that team in three years from from a terrible roster, worse than the NFL, to a Super Bowl and not be pushing to get more power? You know what I mean? Like there could have very easily been a power struggle after 2019, and he's not doing that. Yet to me, if you got a GM that's out here criticizing the players on radio, get off the team. I, like, I have no patience for that at all. The GM should not be doing that, period. John Lynch is the mouthpiece for Kyle Shanahan. Yes. That's all he is. Shanahan hired him. So if John Lynch is going on the radio talking bad about a player, it comes from Kyle Shanahan. That's like, to me, there is no, there's nothing that John Lynch does without Kyle Shanahan's approval. You think he was going to go on the radio and rip Ayuk without Shanahan's approval? No I, way. I think there's been a few times where John Lynch has spoken out of turn, so to speak, you know, I think yes. sharing the Mahomes story that he went and like, <laughs> I don't think Kyle wanted that out there. 
You yeah. know, I think there's times where he gets talk, caught talking. Telling forget, the truth. You know, he was part of the media. He was announcing the game. So he's used to just kind of shooting the shit and talking. And yeah. he gets in that radio. I think sometimes that happens. I don't know if that's one of them this time or not. But I have a real problem with the GM, team president, whatever you want to call them, doing that. Like, you got a player that's not speaking out. Like, if he was acting like Odell Beckham, you know, criticizing the team, criticizing the quarterback for not getting the ball, you know, go after him. If he's going to try to fight his battle in public, then fight right back. But he's not. You don't tear down players publicly that are accepting roles that a lot of players would refuse to accept. Because there are, I would argue, more first-round pick wide receivers that came off good rookie years that would be saying, I'm not returning punts. Because that has happened a lot, where players have refused to return punts. They could be good in that role, but don't want to because they see themselves as the number one receiver. It doesn't make any sense. The Niners Nation uh, Twitter handle tweeted out. So there is that screenshot of the Lynch quote where it says, I, you know, hasn't made strides. On October 1st, two weeks ago, John Lynch commended Brandon Ayuk for his increased role, for earning his increased role. The two weeks ago, Brandon's worked really hard. He's a hard worker. He's a really good kid. He's a talented kid. The credit to Brandon is that he kept working. He put his head down and he kept working and he earned the opportunities. He got the other night and made some big catches. I think that should give him more confidence. It's the same guy two weeks right. ago. So well, he just he just had two ridiculously tough, hard receptions in this past game. And then he gets attacked in the media by his coach like or by his uh, general manager, general manager, like. That's just confusing, mind-boggling to me. And, you know, you hinted at it, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You know, why don't we have answers to this? It's five weeks, going on six weeks. Why don't we have answers to this? And guess what? They have literally contradicted themselves. John Lynch has contradicted himself with his comments this week. Because after week one, he went on KNBR, I believe it was KNBR, but he went on, went on and talked about why Ayuk didn't start week one. And he said, well, he had hamstring issues. It was an injury-related thing. And when others on Twitter started saying, I don't buy that, the David Lombardi's of the world, or David <laughs> Lombardi specifically, retweeted at people or responded to people saying, this regime has always been very straightforward and doesn't <laughs> lie. Who are you to say that they're lying? Well, guess what? He just proved that he lied by coming out this week and saying Ayuk is not as good as we hoped he would be hasn't made the strides that we hoped we he would be so maybe david lombardi you should start asking them the tough questions and getting the truth out of them because that's what your job is this is the other part of it that just drives me nuts what is so special about brandon Ayuk that he is the one that gets called out let's just say 11 let's take it at face value right let's just assume that there is some Thing, some skill, some whatever, light bulb that has not gone on with Brandon Ayuk. Why is he the one that gets called out publicly and iced out? Has Mike McGlinchey made the strides that you would want to see from a top 10 draft pick? I don't think so. And what year is he going into? Hey, he only had a few bad plays a game. <laughs> right. What what about the strides? Jimmy Garoppolo. Has Jimmy Garoppolo made the strides that they want to see? No, not even close, right? To the point where they flirted with every other quarterback and made this massive trade. Maybe the biggest trade in the history of the franchise to go up to three to get Trey Lance, right? 
But nobody calls out Jimmy Garoppolo publicly. Everything publicly they say about Jimmy Garoppolo is it's all about the injury history. He's great. We win when he plays. He never gets called out for not making strides. Like, what is it about Brandon Ayuk specifically where he's the guy that gets ripped when he's the guy that on the field looks to be the best out of any of those guys? You can just use one specific example. Kyle Shanahan said that the juice rerun play, if you want to call it that, where he literally went in motion, got under center, and took a direct snap and failed on fourth down (laughs) was a mistake that somebody did something wrong on that play. But he wouldn't call him out. He wouldn't say who did it wrong, even though uh, I forget who actually had the tweet that theorized that it was supposed to be a pitch back to Lance where he runs with it to the outside. And you can see that because Trent Williams at the snap bursts to the outside to be a lead blocker, like is full on sprinting aggressively to the outside like he does on pitch plays. And Trey Lance, you only see him take one step, but he takes one very aggressive step to the left like he's about to start trying to run, but then stops when he sees the juice took it up the gut. So whatever the mistake there, which seems to be on juice, we don't know for sure. Why aren't you calling that person out? That was a pivotal play. I think he doesn't want to say what it was because he wants to use the play again. Well, people have film, and if Joe Schmo on Twitter can find can see that, others are going to see it too. True. Uh, by the way, how awesome would that have been, right? I would have lost right. my freaking mind if Juice pitches that to Lance and he because it looks like he's going to run forever if he actually got right. the pitch because he has, like you said, Trent is there, and I think it's Elijah Mitchell, which maybe right. who knows? Maybe Lance takes it himself, or maybe. Lance can run the option at that point, right? And then pitch it to Mitchell later. Like, it could have been an awesome play. And there's only one defender out there. It's a uh, DB out there, and Trent Williams is coming at him. (laughs) With Elijah Mitchell also capable of doing something. But, yeah, I mean, that that would have been a big play. But I am interested, and I didn't see it in the video that was posted. What was Kyle Shanahan's reaction? Because when something's messed up really badly, and he sees that it would have worked like a missed throw – or they missed a read where a guy was wide open. You see Kyle, demon, you know, demonstratively, I can't say the word, but on the sideline, yeah, on the sideline, he reacts really poorly. Like he outs his player that you screwed up. So I'm curious <laughs> how he reacted on that play because I, I didn't get to see it. Yeah, here's what I think happened on that play. There's one of two things. Either one, the play call between the actual juice sneak and that option play is really similar. And maybe Lance either botched it in the huddle or juice just didn't hear it. Or juice always has the option on that to where, Hey, if you think you see an opening, screw it, just go for it. And maybe he was like, he got up to the line and he was like, I think I can do this. That to me seems the most likely, right? Like he always has the option to get it. He saw something and he tried for it and he got it. Uh, I don't know, you know, what the actual case is. We don't know. Like you said, Shanahan didn't say. But the point remains that there are plenty of underachieving players on this roster that have been underachieving for years and have not been called out. And Brandon Ayuk is not underachieving, and he's the one that's been called out and iced out. And that's why it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, that's all you can really say at this point. It doesn't make sense. Everybody is kind of left scratching their heads. Even some of those media members that are uh, very positive with the team at all times have started to turn and wonder why isn't Ayuk being more involved? Because, you know, the film tells all. It doesn't take a genius to watch film and see whether or not Ayuk is getting open. It doesn't take 
a genius to look at um, NFL's next-gen stats, they will show the route trees. They'll show every single route a player ran. And you know what Ayuk's route tree looks like most weeks? It's the same play over and over. It is literally like a 5 to 10-yard uh, route where he just stops or comes back. There's no creativity there. He is not being given the opportunity to do anything. This is not a case of a player just failing to produce, being given all the opportunity, which is why I don't understand the criticism. Like Lynch and Kyle, they know what opportunities their players are being given. And Ayuk is not being given the opportunity to have big games. So to come out and criticize him and saying you want more from him is just odd because you're not allowing him or giving him the opportunity to do it. And one last thing I want to say before we take a break. The history of the NFL is littered with teams making exceptions for exceptional players. The famous line, I believe it was from Jimmy Johnson, was what would you, he, you know, he, Jimmy Johnson famously cut a player that was sleeping in a meeting it, right then in front of everybody, woke him up and cut him. And they said, well, what would you do if Michael Irvin was sleeping in a meeting? And he said, wake him up and continue the meeting. Like yeah. exceptions are made for exceptional players. So let's say Brandon Ayuk isn't quite doing something up to the, with the team's satisfaction. Kyle is acting like a coach that has, you know, three Super Bowl rings here trying to teach his guy a lesson, even if it hurts the team. That's like Belichick and Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl. You're not that guy, Kyle Shanahan. You don't have those rings. You don't have the pelts on the wall, as they like to say. You don't have Tom Brady to bail you out when you do that. Because that's what happens. When you have a dominant quarterback, you can play worse players and mess things, like put your team at a worse position because you know you have a quarterback that's still going to win the game. You can't afford to not use Brandon Ayuk. The offense isn't talented enough, and you've seen that on the field this year. So that that is the frustrating thing for me. The management side of things from Kyle Shanahan, which is one of the most important aspects of being a head coach, has been flat out bad this year. And in a way that we really haven't seen in the four previous seasons. You know, you, you mentioned what history is littered with in the NFL. Uh, I'll leave the people with this thought as we go to break. History is littered with teams that made the Super Bowl, lost, and then amounted to nothing because they fell apart. Damn, man. True. Falcons. <laughs> like, no, it's literally a thing. I remember, right. in the, I remember in the early 2000s, it used to be a really big talking point that the team that loses the Super Bowl always has a Super Bowl hangover and is never the same. Like Jim Fossil was fired like two years after he made a Super Bowl with the Giants because the team fell apart. What happened to the Falcons? They fell apart. Most teams that lose Super Bowls don't come back. So we've laid out some problems with the current regime. Uh, you're obviously familiar with them. But when we come back, we want to talk about this. The 49ers have the bye week. Two weeks now to prepare for the game against the Colts. When we come back, we'll talk what is the confidence level that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and everybody will self-scout, adjust, and fix these problems. We'll talk about it when we come back. Back here on the Gold Standard Podcast. Okay, Levin. Two weeks for the Niners. Get right. Let's call them get right weeks. What is your confidence, let's just say, on a scale of 1 to 10, that the 49ers will actually take that time, study themselves, and make the corrections that we think need to be made? Right at about a 5. I know the team has talent. I know the coach has the talent. 
Like Kyle Shanahan can be a great coach. He can be a great schemer. But it's a 5 out of 10 because when a team is undisciplined, it's really hard for them to become disciplined in the middle of a season. When a team is entering a period uh, where it can easily get divided, and that would be the quarterback situation, can easily divide a locker room. I think that that's really hard to deal with in the middle of a season. You can, I don't think there's any question. I will, I would 100% bet my life on, there are some people in that locker room that think Trey Lance should start, and there are some people in that locker room that think Jimmy Garoppolo can, can start. They are a divided locker room. It's whether or not that festers and becomes a problem. Who knows? We might have already seen some of those problems and we're just not aware of it yet. And as the season goes, we'll see them. There are a lot of reasons why this might not turn around despite the, I think, top-end talent that still exists on this team and top-end coaching ability that still exists on this team. And that's why I think it has to be right in the middle at a five. I will say this. In terms of just straight play calling, Kyle Shanahan has not forgotten how to call good plays. He's not forgotten how to make good game plans. I think the trap that a lot of people fall into is a play doesn't work. So the play call must have been bad. And that I do that too. And I've said this, uh, I said it on the Shannon plan yesterday. I'm guilty of that, especially in the moment. Right. But to assume that everybody always performs their job 100% perfectly on every play is wrong. That you can have the best play call in the world. And if if Mike McGlinchey misses his block or Daniel Brunsko misses his block or Debo Samuel falls down during a route and the play doesn't work out, that's not the, the fault of the play call. It doesn't make it a bad play call. And so I am guilty of that. And after studying last week's game and watching the JT O'Sullivan film breakdown of Trey Lance and watching some of the film breakdowns that Kyle Posey, uh Kyle Posey, excuse me, has posted on his YouTube page, I feel like Kyle Shanahan's play calling is right there where it always was. Honestly, I think like he still can can kill it from that perspective. So I have confidence that offensively, the game plans are going to be fine after the bye. My worry is the other side of that that we talked about before the break, the management side of things. I don't know that that gets fixed because I can't believe it's happening in the first place. And I don't know who or what would change Kyle's mind in these two weeks if it hasn't been changed already? That's the only thing that it could be is that he spends two weeks watching like all the film and realizes, holy crap, I've done the wrong thing. But I don't know that that's going to happen because I, I think he he already thinks that he has made all the right decisions. You know what could do it? If your quarterback comes to you and says, Ayuk is the best is one of the best receivers on this team, play him, give me the best... <laughs> Uh, ability to or best chances to succeed and that could be Trey Lance or Jimmy Garoppolo it doesn't matter but if I'm the quarterback in this situation whether it is Jimmy Garoppolo trying to hold on to the job or Trey Lance trying to prove he deserves the job whoever ends up starting I would be going during this bye week to Kyle Shannon saying I don't care whatever Ayuk did which they are probably aware of the players are likely aware of whatever the beef is but they should be going to Kyle and saying put him on the damn field and have them run the routes because we need the best chance. We're two and three. You are not wrong, but do you think that Jimmy Garoppolo, who's fighting for his NFL life as a starting quarterback, is going to go into Kyle Shanahan's office and tell him who he should play and, and where he, he should He should, do? otherwise he's a chicken and isn't worth starting anyways because your quarterback should be an alpha male type of person. And guess what? If Kyle Shanahan reacts really poorly to that and were to say, get out of my office, you're benched due to that, 
he doesn't belong in the NFL either because you can't have that type of mentality either. Your players should be able to approach you and should be able to ask you for things to help them do better. Like that is the quarterback coach relationship that should exist. And if Kyle doesn't allow that to exist, he's not going to succeed in the NFL. You are not wrong, but what should happen and what does happen and what will happen, as you know, are often two very, very different things. I mean, as you and I sit here today, the 49ers should have two more Super Bowl trophies in their trophy case, and they do not because what should happen isn't always what does occur. Yeah, I, I would like to see that. To be honest, I would like to see a 49ers quarterback that is a little bit more of a of a kind of a jerk, to be honest with you. Like, we haven't really had that. Colin Kaepernick was not, you know, an outspoken alpha male type of guy. Trey Lance doesn't seem to be that. Jimmy Garoppolo Alex doesn't. Smith wasn't either. Alex Smith wasn't. Like, we haven't had a guy that would grab the face mask of a receiver or a teammate and be like, hey, man, get your head out of your ass. And I kind of feel like, I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways to win, but the 49ers have not had that quarterback since probably Steve Young or Joe Montana. Yeah, you know one way that a quarterback who is confident enough and that some quarterbacks in the NFL actually have done in the past to get the way what they want? They use the media. When they're in a press conference and they're asked about, you know, hey, uh, Brandon Ayuk hasn't been doing well this season. You know, what do you think his issues are? You go, I just wish Brandon Ayuk, IU got more of an opportunity to succeed because he's would be somebody that I could utilize or something along those lines. We have seen quarterbacks do that openly talk in a, in a press conference about a certain player. They Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah. They wished got, got more of an opportunity because of he thinks he could succeed with him. And when a quarterback does that publicly, the coach is kind of stuck in a hard spot because if you don't, you're being a stubborn ass. And if you do and it succeeds, you look like an ass. <laughs> I, I actually was hoping that like, hey, maybe Ayuk is open on stuff and Jimmy doesn't feel confident in throwing balls to him because of the routes that Ayuk is running. So maybe if Lance is in there because he has, you know, more arm talent than Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe we'll start to see some more passes go Ayuk's way. We haven't seen more go his way, but like you said, some of the catches and the plays after the catches that he has made have been absolutely amazing. He's literally, literally in the top five in the NFL for most contested catches in the league this year. I think he's fourth. He, he has, I believe, seven contested catches this year, despite only 15 total targets. Like, um, hello, throw him more jump balls. Even if he's not completely wide open, you're doing it for Debo. Both quarterbacks have thrown a jump ball to Debo deep, and Debo's caught him both times. Well, to be fair, Jimmy's wasn't meant to be a jump ball. <laughs> it just uh, was so it, underthrown yes. that that's what it became. Um, so there's that angle to it. What about the other issues? I think the run blocking has been putrid this year. I think yeah. that they are averaging 4.3 yards per carry, I believe, so far this season. That is the lowest in the Kyle Shanahan era. They can't do it. They're right in the middle of the pack in terms of the NFL. The whole offense is supposed to be built around the run game. And even McGlinchey at times, Levin, he just whiffs on some of these blocks. Like, we're supposed to tolerate the offensive line's issues in pass protection because they are so good at run blocking. Well, they haven't been anywhere close to that this year. And I don't know why, because this is not, you know, their backup offensive line. The five starters are healthy. It's one of the healthiest spots on the entire team, and yet they can't seem to find cohesion. 
I don't know who to blame. I think it is partially players, but I also think it's partially coaching because here's the thing. It, it's a lot of missed assignments. It's not somebody goes out and gets their ass kicked. You know, that has happened in pass blocking, but that's always happened to McGlinchey and Brunskill in pass blocking. You know, J.J. Watt ate their lunch this past game. Yeah, he did. But in run run blocking, a lot of times they go to the wrong spot or they block the wrong guy. It seems to just be miscommunications. And to me, when you have an offensive line that is virtually the same offensive line, I mean, the only person who's different this year is Alex Mack, and that's somebody that's played in this system, knows this system, and is as experienced of a center that there is in the league. When you have all those missed assignments, then to me, that falls a decent bit on coaching because you have experienced offensive linemen that have not demonstrated miscommunications to this degree in the past, and they've been together a long time. So when you suddenly have a whole bunch of miscommunications, I tend to throw that back to the coaching, that they're not getting prepared correctly, that they're not being explained things in a way that they don't have miscommunications. Like, I I don't know what it is this year. There is a possibility it is just the players got full of themselves and didn't prepare for the season. That doesn't seem as likely as they're just not being prepared week in, week out well enough. It's almost as if defenses have figured out something, that they they found something in the, in the offseason, and the Niners have not adjusted to it, and the defense knows what they're doing and is purposely running things to confuse them. That is what seems more likely to me, because like you said, this offensive line has years in the system and, you know, Mac obviously has been in the system for years before this. So there shouldn't really they know the communication like they know the blocking assignments in defensive, you know, in certain situations, except like you said, if defenses are doing something new and thus the 49ers haven't adjusted and that's where the confusion comes in. You know what you call that? Being out coached. (laughs) Yes. Um. This is something that Brian Baldinger mentioned on some of his uh, Twitter film breakdowns on one of the plays. I can't remember which play it was. It might have been the the use check sneak. Debo Samuel is running like an orbit motion around the back of that play. So it's, it's where the guy like runs way in the backfield, stops and then goes back in the other direction. And nobody on the Cardinals moves. It doesn't affect a single player. And what Baldy said, and it kind of made me think a little bit, was basically like they know. Like they knew that that was window dressing. They knew not to get mm-hmm. suckered into that because Kyle Shanahan runs motion, I think, more than anybody, or he's yeah. top three in the league on pre play, pre snap motion. And the fact that nobody moved on a, a huge, massive play in the game makes me wonder if maybe the book is kind of out a little bit and Kyle Shanahan needs to make that kind of secondary adjustment to what he's been calling so far. I'll say this. The Rams this past week ran the same formation and play five times against the Seahawks. Literally kept running the same thing, but would only slightly adjust it. In the middle of the game, McVay was doing this. Slightly adjust it, have somebody run a route slightly different to once again confuse the defense. Like That's the counterpoint to this. Even if defenses have figured something out, why the hell has Kyle Shanahan not adjusted yet? Because McVay has been running the same system and has not had the issues. Well, he did change quarterbacks. Yeah, he changed quarterbacks. But And when have you seen that Rams offense look like they got figured out? 
they slowed down a little bit after the Super Bowl. Part of that was probably the girly injury, and part of that is the fact that Jared Goff is a pumpkin. But they they slowed. <laughs> they down. literally had to change their offense. They used to be a run dominant offense with yes. Todd Gurley when he had all those touchdowns and won uh, AP Offensive Player of the Year. And then he got hurt and was a shell of himself, and they had to change everything and go to a pass dominant offense. But guess what? They did, and they they've made the playoffs. I think all but one year. McVeigh, in my opinion, has been doing a better job than Kyle Shanahan. I don't know how you could argue it at this point, whether it's no, playoff appearances, regular season record. I mean, it's it's inarguable. Um, I will say, as we flip it over to the defense, I have thought that the defense needed to make some adjustments after the first couple of weeks. I think they have, Levin. I think D'Amico Ryans is starting to hit his stride a little bit. What they did to the Arizona Cardinals, like the Cardinals were dropping 30 points on everybody. And they had to scratch and claw just to get 17 on the 49ers. I think that D'Amico Ryans is a fantastic coach. I think he has really made a couple of adjustments earlier in the year. He's dealt with some injuries this year. I don't think the defense needs to change anything. Just keep doing what you're doing. I don't disagree. And just let me say for the record, I was dead wrong because I was pretty heavily critical of him uh, after week one and also a little bit into week two he's proven me wrong. Like I, I didn't like what I saw in weeks one and two. It turns out that it was more, I think just a couple of miscommunications, a little bit of small mistakes, I guess that they were penalized big caused big plays. And he's fixed that. Like the last two weeks have been phenomenal jobs by the defense, in my opinion. And the offenses hung him out to dry. I said on the instant reacts pod that the last couple of weeks, have reminded me of the Mike Singletary era where the defense (laughs) is this like dominant defense, but statistically you don't get to see that because by the end of the game, they've been hung out to dry all game and they start giving up points. That ended up being what it was. Like the offense was so bad in those years that the defense couldn't shine. And then the moment Harbaugh came in and had an offense that at least did something, suddenly the defense was a championship-caliber dominant defense. Well, and I think we've seen the effect of that last game specifically, right? So the 49ers offense was not scoring points, but eight of the nine possessions they had, they ended in Arizona Cardinals territory. The offense moved the ball enough and possessed the ball long enough to where the defense actually got a breather on the sidelines. And I think that's part of the reason they were so good throughout the entire Mm -hmm. game, especially against a mobile quarterback, is because they got a breather. They had time to rest and get their energy back. They weren't on the field for 70, 80, 90 plays. I think that's a huge factor in this too, is that even if they weren't scoring points, the 49ers were not going three and out multiple times in a row. And that makes the defense look better too. Well, the defense should have scored points, but the refs screwed them out of it. Well, there's the safety call in the end or the holding call that was clearly in the end plays. Back to back plays, they got screwed out of safeties. You literally have the blatant hold, which I think most people have seen the uh, still frame of that, which if you haven't, it's literally Armstead having his shoulder pads grabbed from the inside around the collar, yanked to the point that you can literally see it. And you can see him in the classic look of being held where he's trying to lunge to the right and he's being stuck because he's being held. And guess what? He has a fistful of Murray's jersey. So he was that close to getting the sack. And Murray is still in the pocket. So Murray would not have been able to throw it away. And if it wasn't for that hold, he would have been sacked or thrown it away, which would be intentional grounding in the end zone and a safety anyways. And yet it wasn't called. 
the the offensive lineman was literally on his back wasn't even like to the side of him or slightly in front of him at all it was a blatant hold that was very uh easy to see and should have been called and then the very next play was the third down where they called holding but said it wasn't in the end zone but when you watch the replays it wasn't holding at all no it wasn't holding but the offensive lineman was in the end zone so it should have been a safety and that would have made a big difference in the game because it was 10-0 Cardinals at that point, but then it would have been 10-2. to The Niners would have been getting the ball back. If they score a touchdown and go for two, then all of a sudden it's a tie game. So, I mean, who knows? And they did score a touchdown on the very next drive, so it seems like they had the right plays to go ahead and score the touchdown and go down and have a two-point conversion to tie the game. Regardless, I think the defense has been good. I especially think the defense has been good considering the secondary. I mean, they're literally starting Drake Kirkpatrick and Josh Norman. Like, what, what, that's where we are in terms of the secondary. And I know Emmanuel Mosey's out there too, but like, damn. The last thing I want to get to before we go, and it's about a change. Do you think we will see more of the rookies after the bye? More Trey Sermon getting the ball. Maybe actually get to see if Aaron Banks can play football on a football field after the bye week or Ambry Thomas, who's basically been a healthy scratch since week one, are we going to start to see these young guys that the 49ers drafted because they thought they needed? Uh, I could see Sermon. Like he, he was a non-factor in this past game, which that was in favor of another rookie in Mitchell, but I could see Sermon getting a little bit more of a run than he did in this past game. But uh, I don't think, Banks and Thomas are not playing, not dressing due to being rookies. I think they're not playing, not dressing because they suck. Maybe they turn it around. Maybe they figure things out at some point and are a factor next year. But I would be shocked if either one of them emerged this year to being anything of a positive. They might get put into action due to other reasons later in the season, that I don't want to see crop up again. And I'm not going to freaking name, <laughs> <laughs> but, how, but yeah, they're, they're that bad. How bad can you're telling me that Aaron Banks is so bad, Levin, that he, he has can't be. beat out Daniel Brunskill. He has to be, he's not even dressing for the game. So he's not even the backup, right? Like, and how big of an indictment is that of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch right. that they picked him over a guy like Pretty Asante enough. Samuel jr. Who the 49ers would be blessed to have on the team you picked Aaron Banks and he can't even dress like that is his that's hideously bad for a second round pick to you not even be you don't draft any second round pick I don't care what the position is and have them as inactive right. healthy scratches you know what I mean like you draft a quarterback in the second round you might not be counting on him to start right away but he's still the backup quarterback you know what I mean like it doesn't matter what the position is. If you're drafted in the second round, you're expected to be at the very worst a backup. And other than very few positions, like the quarterback I just mentioned, you're expected to actually have a role in playing games. And I mean, what other position other than quarterback would you expect to be not on the field for some place? There isn't one. If you're a second round defensive lineman, you're expected to be in the rotation. If you're a second round linebacker, you're expected to be on special teams and in the rotation. If you're a cornerback, a, a safety, you know, whatever, you're playing special teams and you're in the rotation. The fact that Banks can't do anything is pretty damning. Really damn. And Ambry Thomas is right there with him. And I know that Ambry Thomas opted out last year, so he didn't play football. So at least that's a little more understandable. Plus, he was a third round pick, not a second round pick. But man, 
That is, and I feel like that's another thing that has gone uncriticized largely by the 49ers press corps is the fact that these dudes are not even suiting up. It's one thing for them not to be playing, but to not even to be so bad that that Kyle Shanahan is essentially saying the team would be better off going with anyone else over you. We can't even give you a chance to get in the game if somebody gets hurt because you're so bad. You know what type of article should be written right now? And they should have been asking questions so that they can write it. Hey, Brunskill is not doing well. The offensive line's run blocking has been particularly bad, and especially a right guard. How big of a of a problem is it that you used a second round pick, and they're not able to beat out Brunskill? That should be an article, and that should be a question asked. That, hey, Brunskill is playing like one of the worst right guards in football, and you drafted a guy to play that position, but he's not even dressing for games. Is that an issue? Do you wish you could have that pick back? Blah, 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 blah. That should be an article, but it's not. Maybe you should write it. I would have to get access to ask the damn questions. <laughs> well, we'll work on that. Okay. Anyway, I'd probably only get in one time because I don't that's think true. I'd be welcomed back. I had, a fame, I had a boss that said, well, had one of the best lines of all time. He said, look, you can do anything once. And I was like, holy shit, dude, you're right. That applies to everything. You can do anything once. I think if I was allowed into a press conference to actually ask questions, I'd probably have Grant Cohn stand up and give me an applause and everybody else sitting there glaring at me like, F this guy, he's never coming back. Take you him out of the take him out of the alleyway after the press conference. <laughs> you should start your question like this way, Levin. I know nobody else here is gonna ask this, so I will. <laughs> That's how you have to preface your question. <laughs> That'll really uh, win you some friends in the room. Yeah, I was definitely not the journalist who made friends with people. I wasn't wow. hated, but I was definitely the journalist that would ask whatever the question needed to be that was asked. And just about every single team, coach, whoever at any level has questions they don't want to be asked. And I, I would go ahead and ask them. We got to see this week what happens when a journalist does the opposite and makes friends with the sources that he is supposed to cover. And it has not gone well for that person. And yes, I'm talking about Adam Schefter of ESPN. And let me, let me say this. His situation is different than a Jake Glazer's because that was a thought that I I had that some people are going to sit here and go, well, this must be what Jake Glazer does. If Jake Glazer does that, he's different. He's not sitting here writing factual articles trying to pass himself off as a journalist. He literally admits he's buddies with these people. He literally films stuff for YouTube and other <laughs> shows where he's on vacation with them. Like he makes no, uh, he doesn't put up mirrors and try to hide the fact that he's buddies with these people. And that's why he has the access he has. Schefter does. Schefter tries to pass himself off as being a journalist who just happens to have sources. The difference is Jay Glazer uses his friendships with the players and some of some of the executives in the league to break news. Adam Schefter is touted as this ultimate insider when in reality, all he is, and this is something that Mike Florio said, so I'm not, this isn't my original thought. This is Florio, but he's dead right. All Schefter is, is a five minute heads up on stuff that we would find out anyway. And you don't get that five minute heads up unless you're buddy buddy with everybody in the league. If Adam Schefter dried up and went away, you would be no less informed about the NFL than you are right now because everything that he tweets or writes about is stuff that a team would release on the transaction wire. I get the emails from the 49ers every single day. Hey, we released this guy. This guy's on the COVID list. This guy's on the practice squad. 
We don't need Adam Schefter for that. Like we would find out about those things anyway. Right. So, Ian Rappaport would tell us 60 seconds later. <laughs> right. He gets the he gets the 10 minute heads up or the the four minute heads up, depending on which direction it goes. So yeah, that whole thing really frustrated me. And ESPN's pathetic statement about it, where they that, said that's the wild thing to me, by the way. Of all of the news this week, let's see. Who does Adam Schefter work for? And who did John Gruden work for when he sent those emails? Oh, they all worked for ESPN. Why isn't ESPN getting their asses handed to him this week? Well, I don't know that you can hold ESPN responsible for a private email that John Gruden sends while he works there. But the the ESPN statement defending Adam Schefter where they said, well, we're not going to reveal a reporter's process from a story from 11 right. years ago. As if that somehow makes it less egregious because it happened a long time ago. That just means he's been doing this crap for a long time. And then they had the gall to say that we, you know, we we strive to make everything authentic and objective. And what a crock of crap. You don't send a draft of a story. And call him somebody. Mr. Editor. Call him Mr. Editor and say, is there anything that needs to be added or taken out? That is not a story anymore. That is a press release at that point. Yeah. It loses all objectivity and becomes a press release. That's the problem that people are not understanding. People like Darren Ravel, who said, oh, well, everybody's done this in the name of accuracy. And then he got absolutely crushed on Twitter by everybody with a blue check mark who said, no, it's not. And no, we all haven't done this. And you're an idiot. And then Ravel went and deleted the tweets. Yeah. Yeah. As a former journalist, it pissed me off. I had my brother ask me, like, how big of a deal is this? And I was like, it literally violates the biggest journalistic code <laughs> there is. Like, the biggest journalistic code there is. The worst thing you can do as a journalist, other than flat out lying and making up sources, is giving people your articles first and say, go ahead and edit it as you want. Because what that does is, like you said, I literally told my brother the same thing. I said, what it does is it changes it into a PR. It is public relations it is no longer journalism it is gross it's disgusting and and by the way adam schefter before he was this insider of insiders was a beat reporter like he knows this crap he -hmm. knows what he's doing is wrong he is willfully sacrificing his objectivity for access that's exactly what that is and he chose to do it and whatever like Obviously, it's worked out for him. He has a huge platform. He's making a zillion dollars. So uh, good for him, I guess. But, I mean, he looks hideously bad today. Hideously bad. And he deserves all the criticism in the world for it. And can I just uh, finish this pod by saying, please, please, NFL, do what your Players Association wants you to do and release all the emails because I am here for it all. I want to know who else. Yeah, I want to know who else is doing this as a media member. I want to know what other piece of coaches and owners and players. I doubt players are really sending emails, but you know what I mean. I want to know what other people in the NFL are out there saying things that Gruden did because he is not the only one. And I would guarantee you there are much worse things that were said, much worse skeletons that exist in those emails than what we know now. And I want them all. I don't care who it is. You know, I saw somebody on Twitter respond to one of the beat reporters. You know, like, what would you be saying if it was Kyle Shanahan included in one of these emails like like Gruden's? Hit the road. 
I don't care who it is. <laughs> Fire him. Yeah, you're yeah, out. I don't care who it is. Get out. And I want to know exactly who everybody was that has done crap like this that we have now found out. And I want them out of the league. I don't care who they are. You know, Mike Florio said this too. He said the stunning thing to him was after the first email came out, Gruden started, you know, like doing. Gruden didn't get out of there. Right. He started doing PR control. And like Florio said, you know, the first torpedo hit the boat and John Gruden is there trying to repair the hole knowing damn well there's three or four or five more torpedoes coming. And instead he stayed on the boat. Like that is the wild part about this. And I know, and I'm sure like you can picture this, others in the league like, oh crap, better delete my sent emails. And oh no, what if this thing that I said gets out? I think the flags went up for everybody else in the league. Like, uh uh-oh, the chickens could be coming home to roost and they are all praying. I bet you Roger Goodell's inbox is flooded with emails from coaches and owners saying, whatever you do, you do not let this stuff get out because we will be screwed. You know, there there is one, one thing that could cause some emails to come public, and I haven't seen anybody put this out there, but I don't remember the exact year. It was about a decade ago the NFL stopped taking money from the government which allowed them to start making all the salaries of Goodell and everybody else private info. Before that, though, that is all public info. All of these emails are public info. There is an act called the Freedom of Information Act, or FOIA as it's called in media circles, that is used and states that this is all public information and that if you request it, they are legally obligated in a timely manner with uh, cost considerations, like they can't just be like, sure, we'll give it to you, but you got to pay us $1 million. They can't do that. They have to, you know, they can account for the cost of compiling it. So they can charge you something for it, but they can't make it extra basically, but they are required to release those. Well, that means from like, I don't know when they started getting government assistance, but that means since email was created, up until I think it was around 2010 or so, this last co- collective bargaining agreement that they stopped being public. Request all those emails; they exist somewhere. I guarantee it. Some some people have them. It's a it's a crazy situation, but I agree with you. I I mean, obviously, I would like to get anyone that says these things and thinks these things out of the league, but we need to release everything and not just have this selective release of John yeah. Gruden or Hey, it is kind of dirty. What, what the NFL did, like right. they we're know, not excusing Gruden, but right. there's more to they it. They know that. that there are people out there that probably said worse things, probably did worse things that are essentially being protected by the NFL because the NFL didn't release them. That's what it is. The NFL by not releasing them is protecting them. And there are much worse things. And, and everybody should be out. Not just, not just right. Gruden. And so that's why it's kind of dirty of the NFL to handpick this. And it's probably why Mark, like, I don't excuse Mark Davis at all. Like, his reaction to this is disappointing. It's BS. If I was a, if I was an owner that didn't have skeletons in my closet, I would be leading a charge to get him voted out as an owner. Now, the owners won't do that because I guarantee most owners have these skeletons because they're all Exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. There are but his no reaction owners. to this is, is crap. There are no owners with no skeletons in their closet. I would bet there's one or two possibly out there. That... Yeah, no, no. We'll see. A bunch of rich white dudes tend to, tend to think they make the rules. And to be honest, for most of human history, 
They have. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. Again, please rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate all the ratings and reviews you've been giving us lately. Please, please, please keep it coming. It's a small thing you can do, but it makes a big difference for us. Enjoy Especially your week. Especially the ones give, talking positive towards me. Yeah, can we get a little less reviews about Levin, please? I feel like the last four or five that we read on the show are all about you. I'm all set with that. Enjoy your week, everybody. Take a week off. Take a breather. The 49ers have a bye week. Allow yourself to think that they'll fix all their problems when we come back and play the Colts in week number seven. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody.